right, children, off you go. We're going into Revelation. You're not going to want to hear this. Out you go. Don has this funny habit. He picks all the encouraging ones. Then Darren gets the scary letters. Well, thank you. Well, you guys are adorable. How, how am I supposed to preach this sermon? This sermon's really mean. And like just, oh man, you guys. The Holy Spirit's trying to tell me something, I think. That's cute. Look at all those cards. This sermon's an aggressive one. You see, these letters to this church in Revelation have been building. There's a, there's a structure to these letters that is coming to a point. And that happens to be the letter that we are reading together this morning. It doesn't feel like 10 years ago I stood up on this stage and started doing this work. I was a child back then. Oh my goodness, I don't even know if I had started shaving back then. That was a long time ago. You got to think, every kid in this church who's under 10 wasn't born yet when I showed up. That's, That's crazy. Oh man. Thyatira, the center of this incredible line of letters being presented to the seven churches of Revelation. Repentance, perseverance, the heart of these letters. Walk away from sin. Hear the voice of God. Hold on. And then it repeats. Repent of sin. Hear the voice of God. Hold on, and it goes church by church by church. And Thyatira finds itself right in the middle, not just of these letters, but of the circle of cities, as the messenger would travel around. But if you decided to go to Thyatira today, that is about all that you would see. In the middle of a current city, just a few ruins, a few broken pillars, not much at all. What once was a bustling church that we're going to read about is now this. The church in Thyatira. You see, the chiastic structure that we can see forming starts with this church in Ephesus who is suffering from this lukewarm love. And this structure, these letters will end with the Laodicean church, which is guilty of the same thing. Their love is lackluster. It's lukewarm at best. These churches need to be woken back up. The second church and the second last one are both ones that are being called to persevere because their lives are about to become incredibly difficult and they simply need to hold on. Sin doesn't seem to have gripped their churches the same way. They simply need to persevere. The third letter and the third last one are eerily similar in the fact that sin is starting to creep into their churches. This teaching of the Nicolaitans, this idea that you can compromise your faith with the pagan world and together you can form some sort of a a hybrid faith that serves and honors God but at the same time serves yourself. And these letters are warning them to repent of this sin and turn away from it before it's too late. As you see this structure build to the center letter, you get to Thyatira. A church that is so deep in sin that when Jesus delivers this message to John, he says, we're about to read it, some of them are going to die for their sin. It's gotten that bad. They have completely, many of them, compromised their faith. It doesn't look any different than their pagan neighbors. 
This church is about to be punished for the way they've allowed the world to compromise their faith and they've allowed themselves to enter into it. This is at the heart of these letters. And as I'm reading it this week, thinking, like, how do I, how do I read this to hundreds of my best friends? But this, the Holy Spirit just keeps bringing back to my mind that there's so many times when I have compromised as well. So many times when I've allowed the world around me to influence and direct my Christian faith, when I claim to be a follower of God, and it's easy on Sundays when we're sitting in this room, but boy, it's hard tomorrow when I get home and my world starts to revolve around this guy. I claim to be in love. I claim to have this relationship. I claim to be married to him in this covenant. A lot of the week, though, it looks like I'm living for myself. A lot of the week, it looks like I'm not married to him at all. So maybe this is a little bit more applicable than I first thought when I read this. You ready to go? We're going to have some fun this morning. It's going to sting a little bit, but sometimes the best ones do, don't they? Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 18. We're going to read the entire story. Then we're going to talk about the key lesson that I learned as I read through this. And maybe this will be the same lesson that the Holy Spirit wants to grab your heart with. Let's read the verses together. Follow along if you have your Bible in your lap or on your phone. His letter starts like this. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds. I know your love and your faith, your service and your perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, verse 20, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will until the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter, will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. 
I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What a movement in this letter. What a call to repentance. We'll start off with the way he introduces. We'll get into the people and the way they're living well. And then you and I are going to have a conversation about compromise and about sin this morning. As I'm reading this and all these letters, I hope you're paying attention to the way that Jesus introduces himself He always describes himself as he starts these letters, and he does it in different ways. If you have your Bible in front of you, you might even notice the way that he introduced himself in this sermon. He called himself the Son of God. He is my Father. This letter is all about authority. So he starts right away by establishing the authority that I have comes from my position, and that's Dad. So you know that I have the ability To say things for dad. I am his. And he's mine. I have these eyes that blaze like fire. Eyes are symbolic of what you can see. Fire is this purifying judgment that burns everything away. Except for the few things that remain once the fire goes over it. He has eyes to see what's really going on. And he has feet that are burnished bronze. Power. He doesn't just have authority. He doesn't just see what's going on. He has the ability to execute the accountability. It's powerful. We'll get into it in a minute, but Thyatira was an incredible marketplace of a city. Full of trades, maybe more so they depended on their trades than any of these seven cities. The bronze smiths were a large portion of this. Jesus says, I am the one with the feet of burnished bronze. So I have these eyes to see. I have these powerful feet to get the job done. And I have authority from my Father in heaven. And here, church, is what I see. I see your deeds. What do I see? I see faith and I see love. Motivators of their deeds. And then he says, I see service and I see perseverance. The outpouring of the deeds. That's what this church, in Jesus' eyes, is doing. Faith and love, service and perseverance. And you would think that this is a church that's doing very well. This is all of verse 18 and 19. You'd think, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Look at how active they are. Look what's going on, especially compared to some of these other churches. The last time I was up here teaching, we were talking about the church in Ephesus. They were moving in the opposite direction, weren't they? They were ones who had abandoned their first love. They had started off incredibly strong. They were known for their love for one another and their faith in God. You read that in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But that church had abandoned their first love. Right? This is written decades after the church is planted. Not a couple years, decades. And the Ephesian church's love had fallen apart. But the Thyatirans is increasing. How does he put it at the end of verse 19? You are now doing more than you did at first. It's growing. But even in the midst of a church where those things are increasing, because I'm sure we can look around this room with a couple hundred of us in this room and say, yeah, some of us, 
I can see faith. I can see love. I can see service. I can see perseverance. It's developing. And yet in their midst is a Jezebel. What's a Jezebel? Jezebel was a queen found in the Old Testament. She was married to King Ahab. And Ahab was the king of northern Israel. Jezebel, though, was a Canaanite. And we read in the Bible that her family was involved in the worship of pagan gods before she even enters God's nation. And she becomes the queen over God's people, and she brings with her the worship of foreign gods. The story goes on to tell us that she's actually a murderer of prophets, people who speak the word of God. She removes them and kills them. She is known throughout the rest of the Bible as this person that snuck immorality, idolatry, into God's family. And now Jesus, all these years later, says that someone in your church is doing the same thing. Someone in your midst is bringing back in the worship of idols, the eating of food that you know is wrong, sacrifice to these foreign pagan gods, this Jezebel. And I've given her a chance to repent. Has she chosen to do that? No. So she's part of their family. This isn't some foreigner. That's verse 21. Given her time to repent of her immorality, but the end of the verse says, but she is unrighteous. Willing. That's who this person is. Before we go much further into this story, we need to think for a second about the Thyatiran church and if we can blame them or not. And here's what I mean. When you read about this city, this city isn't on the coast. This isn't a big Ephesus or Pergamum city. This isn't a political capital like Pergamum was of the whole region, or Ephesus, the economic powerhouse. It had like a quarter of a million people in it. Thyatira is not that big. This is a city dominated by the trades. And they say in the commentaries, if you go to those ruins, to those cities, if you study Thyatira, you can see all the labels of the trades that would have been in this city. The wool workers, the linen workers, the potters, the bakers, the leather workers, the bronze smiths. These were blue collar, these were working folk. They worked with their hands, they developed these trades, they produced this economic activity. They were the least important out of all seven churches. Just men and women living their lives, earning a living, taking care of their families. There wasn't a huge worship center of the emperor here like in the other cities. This was just so much smaller. And I imagine that the fear, especially of these dads who have to take care of their families, is knowing what we've talked about throughout these last letters, right? Trade guilds. This idea that if I don't go and if I don't participate in this meal that they're having, I can't get the raw material to do the bronze smith work that I need to do. I might lose my market, so now no one buys the bronze that I've been working on. You can imagine that example for any of the other trades that I just listed. You can imagine it for yourself. Like, this is where the rubber hits the road. It's easy to sit here Sunday morning and talk about how much we love God. What if your job 
ended tomorrow if you didn't go to a pagan worship service? What if it ended tomorrow? What if the ability to provide for your family could end tomorrow if you don't go to a pagan worship ceremony? You don't go to some banquet where all the meat there has been sacrificed in front of a statue to Apollos. You know that's not right. And all of a sudden, somebody in the church who claims to know God's words who claims to be a prophet. A prophet's not a fortune teller. Don't get those mixed up. A prophet is someone who speaks the word of God to the people. So this lady in the church claims, don't worry, we can do both. We can worship God, and we can go to this banquet. We can eat this meat, sacrifice to Apollos. It'll be fine. Wouldn't God want you to take care of your family? Wouldn't God want you to save the trade that you've been working on all of these years? You think God would want to watch your family suffer? You think God would want your quality of life, your kids don't have food on the table? You think God would want that for you? Surely not. Surely not. You don't believe in these idols. You don't think they're real, so you don't think that this meat sacrifice to them means anything. Go ahead. It'll be fine. Can't you just hear that? The voice of this person calling God's children away from the way they're supposed to live. All lies come from the father of lies who spoke the very first lies at the very beginning. And all Satan had to do was take the truth and he had to twist it, right? He distorted it. What did he say? Surely you won't die for taking the fruit that you weren't supposed to off this tree that offers life and death, this knowledge of good and evil. Surely God won't be upset with you if you just take some of it. Surely he won't. Why would God not want you to have this? Is God keeping something from you? Is God trying to take something away from you? And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are standing at the base of the tree and fruit's in their hands. Can't you imagine this? All of a sudden, people from this church, husbands and wives, moms and dads, men and women, just like, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I could keep my trade. Just a small compromise. Just a small compromise, and all of this is fine. My reputation is saved. This doesn't mean anything, and they eat the meat. They go to the temple worship, where sexual immorality is a part of the the way they worship these gods, and you're witnessing it. I'm not participating in it. I'm I'm just around it, but I didn't actually do anything. I thought about it, but I didn't actually do it, whatever it was. Can you see family by family by family people are being pulled out of this church? She is going to be thrown on a bed of suffering. That's verse 22. And I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. This is symbolic. It doesn't mean that dozens of people in the church are sleeping with this woman. They're committing adultery towards the one that they've promised themselves to in covenant relationship. 
See, as followers of Jesus, we've made that promise. He is our master. He's the one we live for. He's the one we bind ourselves to. So for us to think that we can walk away from that and then enter into worship of anybody else, even ourselves, that is adultery against the one that we love. And many people have entered into this idolatry with this Jezebel. They, though, still have the chance to repent. Verse 23 is what got me, though. Each time I was up here this week going over the sermon, verse 23 stopped me. I will strike her children dead. Then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds and repay each person according to their deeds. Some of the people in this church are unwilling to repent. They have followed this lady's teaching just like good children and they followed her right out of the church. And this Jesus, this tender-hearted, caring best friend that we sing to all the time says, I'm going to strike them dead. Then every church will know the truth. Every church will know my authority. That I can see your heart. I can see your mind. I know what's going on. And accountability is coming for your deeds. But we think true love keeps no record of wrongs. How could he say something like this? Isn't this the God that gave up everything to give us life? As we read about in the Gospel of John. So why now is he bringing death upon these people in the church who are struggling? Why? Because we don't understand the cost that was paid to set us free. I'm convinced of this. We don't understand the cost that was paid to set us free. This is what I mean. The cross. Back here. Take a look at it. This cost him everything. Because he used it in the sacrifice of his son to buy you and to buy me. You think about the thing in your life that is the most valuable to you. Whether that's a possession in your home, something in your family, a person. Imagine what it is, the most valuable thing to you in your life. And everybody who comes to your house and sees this thing spits on it. And you would think, how dare you treat this thing that way? Now imagine that you, in love, gave this thing up for everyone here. And they still, they still had no respect for you. They still had no respect for what you gave up. You're thinking to yourself, don't you understand? Imagine your one and only son. That's the price paid to set you and me free. His one and only son. And we say, thank you, Jesus. We love you. And then we leave church. And ten minutes later, we spit on that sacrifice by putting ourselves first. And every week we come back here and sing the songs like we love him. And then the very next day, spit on the sacrifice again. Darren, don't say that about me. I'm a good person. I would never. Yes, you would. Because I do too. That's why he has the right to say that the people who wander off into sin and do not repent and don't come back, they are going to be struck dead. 
Because they don't understand that I give up everything for them. And they treat it like it's absolutely nothing. And there'll be accountability for that. He is a holy God who will not exist in the presence of sin. He has washed us clean and given us brand new life. We've entered into this baptism with him. Died to our old self, right? Romans chapter 5 and 6, raised up to brand new life. That way sin is no longer the master over us, but we've been set free to become slaves to righteousness. Told you this was going to get heavy. I warned you. Do I think that a little bit of compromise is okay? This, this is where it gets real for those of us who are married real quick. The question is this. Should we ask Chantel and see what she thinks? The question is this. How much adultery is too much adultery? Like on a scale of one to ten, how much is too much? What if like a two out of ten... Like, on a scale of adultery, that's me. I'm like a two, uh, just a little bit of adultery. Not too much. That'd be ridiculous. I'm a good pastor. But like, a little bit of adultery. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, a little bit's okay, right? Like, I love her most of the time. One day a week. One day a week, all bets are off. But the rest of the week, I'm so committed. So committed. And you would think to yourselves, Darren, you can't even joke about something like that. That's not funny. It's either seven days a week you're committed or you're not committed at all. You can't, just, you can't just cheat on your spouse one day every week and think it's okay. It's only one day. The other six, I'm completely yours. We wander into sin and compromise, just like they would have followed this Jezebel into the eating of this food, the bowing down to these idols. Instead of that, though, what do we worship? Yeah, you don't bow down to big statues and you don't eat meat sacrificed to a Roman god, neither do I, I get it. Think about your own life. Take what, the last week, the last two weeks? Think about your time, start with time. What have you dedicated the majority of your time to the last two weeks? Think about it. Yeah, things are coming to your mind, they're coming to my mind. Unless you're not paying attention at all, which case nothing's coming to your mind right now. Put your phone away. Okay, second thing, your money. What is the majority of your money that you've spent in the last two weeks? What's it gone towards? Just roughly. Think about it. Okay, now think about your thoughts. Think about the things that you've worried about, stressed about, and thought about the most in the last couple weeks. What would be the top of that list? The top couple things. And right away, you're going to see what things you are bowing down to. I'm not saying all of those are evil. I'm saying take a look at what you're bowing down to. What do you spend all your time on? What do you think about the most? What do you spend all your money on? Is your discipleship, is your ministry, is your faith in God, is it anywhere in any of those things? Or does it not exist at all? All of a sudden you might see things like my work. My work is the most important thing to me. Obviously the money and the time and the thoughts, it's work. Okay? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's busyness, right? All my time and money and thoughts, it's just always family. We just go, 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 go every single day. 
It always comes first. It always comes first. I don't like the way that sounds. I don't like the way that sounds. Why did I say that? It always comes first. Are you bowing down to it? I'm just saying, like, this is an examination of your heart and mine. This isn't just for parents with young kids. This is for all of you. Darren, it's different. I'm older now. My life is much slower. You don't understand the things that I go through, the things I spend my time on. What do your hours look like? What do your days look like? Where have you dedicated your life Is it your appearance? Is it your reputation? Is it having control and security in your life? Is it having wealth and having comfort? Is it yourself? What is this thing that has become so all-encompassing in your life and you didn't even realize it was an issue, but you've just been making these compromises towards it? Worshiping God one day of the week and then worshiping this other thing every other day. And all it takes is the words of Satan saying, surely God wouldn't be disappointed in you putting your family first. Surely God would love the fact that you work very hard at your job. Surely it's fine that you hardly have time for this relationship with him. Surely God wants to see you live in a nice home and wear nice clothes. Surely God cares deeply about your dreams and desires more than his. Surely God is okay with a compromised life. Surely coming to church and participating in what we do is enough. Surely all of this is fine. It's a little stunning when you think about the price that was paid for you and for me. And the rest of the week, I treat it like it's not worth anything. Not everyone in this church, though, is compromised. He says to the rest of them in Thyatira, those who don't belong and believe to this teaching, to Satan's so-called deep secrets, to the rest of you in the church, hold on until I come. That's the same in this room too. There are people I have seen in this church over the past few years who have demonstrated such an incredible amount of faith and love and service and perseverance. It's astounding what I see in some of you, how amazing it is, how genuine it is and unforced it is. The way that you love God and love other people and it's so natural out of you. It's at the forethought of your mind constantly. Jesus is saying to you, hold on to these things until I come. Hold on. You haven't got sucked up into all of these lies. Persevere, right? Repent, listen, hold on. And to those who are victorious, to those who are able to do God's will until the very end and not buy into this life of compromise, to you who hang on, you'll get to share in the authority that I have. There's a quote in here. You might have even seen it. The quote is in verse 24. Where's that quote from? Do you recognize it? Do you recognize it from Psalm chapter 2? That's Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, isn't it? He is the authority, this iron rod and scepter, to dash the nations to pieces, just like they're clay pots. That's the authority in the Old Testament that Jesus is said to have. And he says, I will share that authority with you who hang on. One day when all the nations are judged for their sin, you'll be sitting with me. 
as these clay pots are brought to nothing. You think this life of compromise is okay? Wait till the iron rod starts to swing. You're going to want to be on the side of the one who wields that authority. Right? To the person who is victorious and who does the will of God to the end. He says, I'll even give them the morning star. I don't know exactly what that means. That one kind of confused me. I give them the morning star. It makes me think of the first star that appears right before the dawn comes in the morning when the sky is really dark and that first star jumps out of the sky. It makes me think of a world full of darkness and Jesus is going to be the light that pierces through it at the darkest moment at the end of Revelation. It's what it makes me think of. Jesus is going to give them that star. Whoever has ears, every person in the church, hear the words of the Holy Spirit of God. Hear his words. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, we quiet our spirits before you. We just quiet our minds in this moment. And we bring before you our lives and we hold them out on display. And we ask, Spirit of God, show us and show me where the compromise lies. Show me, Lord Jesus, where in my time and in my energy and thoughts, Lord Jesus, and in my money, where have I started to bow down to things that aren't you? And have they become too large in my life? Lord, would you bring these things to mind through the power of your spirit for me, Lord Jesus, so I can repent of them and walk away from them. Because I don't want to stand before you one day and be embarrassed as my life is put on display and to see that I spent this whole life bowing down to something that wasn't you. Father, I desire my life and I desire my family to live a life that honors you, that fights against the compromises of this world, that won't bow down to consumerism, that won't bow down, Lord Jesus, to busyness, that won't bow down to these things. They will not be the pursuits of my life. Lord Jesus, give me strength to resist their temptation. Lord Jesus, protect my church family. I pray, Lord Jesus, you would protect each one of them. Lord Jesus, we're humbling ourselves and saying we repent of these things. We desire to turn away from them. Lord Jesus, protect us from the lies of Satan. Protect us, Lord Jesus, from the sinful desire that still dwells within us to pursue things that aren't you. Lord Jesus, we need this. We need this help. Because we are so, so weak. I know I am. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. The incredible price that was paid for us. Help us to honor the price that was paid to set us free and to purchase us. Mm -hmm. Lord Jesus, I desire a healthy church family. I desire a church family that comes together. I desire, Lord Jesus, effective ministry and real discipleship. 
Help us to repent of sin, Lord Jesus. And for our lives to be this incredible, radical pursuit of you before everything else. And Lord Jesus, if that, if that means half the people in our church family just don't stick with this anymore because they're just here to consume. They're just here to just take it all in and enjoy the service, but after it just means nothing to them. Lord Jesus, if they don't stick through this, just have mercy on them. I just don't want to be a participant in a church that just doesn't care. God, give me the strength to do this life well, to be victorious, to honor you, Lord Jesus, with my thoughts, my actions. And Holy Spirit, I need you to do this through me, for I am weak and I am broken and I am human. Lord Jesus, you are beautiful and you are worthy of all of the honor and the glory and the praise. And one day we will join you in your presence and we will be the ones singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord Jesus, take care of us this week as we go from this place and draw us back to you. We pray this in your holy and powerful name. Amen. I love you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great week.